Thank you for joining us, everyone, here at Walk Down Memory Cane. For part one of Walter B. Hendrickson's interview with Ruth Holmes, who was a teacher at the Illinois School for the Visually Impaired for many years. She started there in 1960 when the school was called Illinois Braille and Sight Saving School and continued on into 1989. She was my science teacher, and I got the honor of being on the front cover of a nationally known teaching magazine with Miss Holmes when I was there as a teacher in the 1990s. She then went on to become very involved in low vision training and got her doctorate degree in that very field. Again, this is part one of a two-part interview with Ruth Holmes and Walter B. Hendrickson. There were a few spots in the original tape of this where the microphone must have been having a short and there were some sentences missing and sometimes a paragraph. And I had to take out some very noisy, disruptive, staticky noises and bring the two pieces together. So you may notice a sudden jump from one subject to another topic. That's only because we had to take out a piece, unfortunately, because it was done on a cassette tape recorder that was having some issues with its microphone. This interview, again, was taken in 1969. I've been since 1960. Uh, I went to Weston and Macomb for my undergraduate work, and then I took my graduate work at ISU in Texas. And uh, then you uh, at at uh, at Illinois State University. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, have you uh, taught in uh, other schools? Uh, no, I had worked as assistant to the dean of the college and uh, worked in the de- a dental assistant for a year. Oh, and uh, since I've been here, then last summer I taught at Island School. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you never taught uh, regularly to well, children? Not uh, regularly, no, I've substituted, but I have not ah, done so regular teaching. So I, I noticed that some teachers come in to get some other Well, I uh, got interested in the work because I was married right after I graduated. Oh, and yes. then, uh, Worked wherever my husband was. <laughs> sure, and then when did uh, we might, well, when did uh, when did this start here? He came here in 1949, and, that, and was uh, that was right after he graduated. He had uh, been out of school for a while and been in the service for three and a half years, and then went out of the service. And Five years before, before. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then, uh, uh, but uh, this uh, 
when your husband came, was there was a, a real break then with what they had been doing? You know, uh, actually, they had only had hand tools. Uh, Mrs. Bruce, you see, yes, was sir. teaching in the home act department and doing some hand work. But her sister was here. You mean there was another sister? I think I'm Bruce. pretty sure there was a sister before that. Now we'll have to check back, but I'm pretty sure that she had been here and had either retired or had died. And I guess But really, your husband then came and. and they really phased out after he came and they began uh, to Well, what actually he did when he came, they had just had hand tools and made some minor projects uh, like you would with hammers on. And uh, so when he came, uh, they were to start a power shop. Now, this was pressed uh, through the Alumni Association. They pressed the State Department to bring this in because they felt this was a real need to prepare their uh, people for industry. And they felt that there had been some breaks made that they could do this. And so uh, they pressed for power tools in the school. And reluctantly, the State Department did go along with it. But they informed him when he came in that if there were any major accidents, that, that was uh, reason they were it would be out, you see, because they thought blind people could not run power to it. We're talking with Mr. Russell. That's not safety. It seems to be a problem. No. Uh, when he first came in, now he took, uh, well, there were no power tools here when he first came in. And one of the first things uh, he ordered, as I remember, was a jigsaw. Well, he ordered a circular saw, too, the big one, but of course these things took quite a while to come in. And he was up on the third floor where the typing room is. Uh, this is where he started, on the third floor where the typing room is, where Mrs. White's room is. And he had to go down the elevator and out to the carpenter's house to get this cutting for his big pieces. Or anything to cut them down to size so they could use them for power and then carry them clear back up to the third floor. The inconvenience for them So he uh, worked with that situation for a couple of years. Well, I think with the end of that first year, his circular stuff came in. They allowed, but of course, he had to order things. He had so much money he couldn't use each year, and he had to order things a few at a time. So he it built the shop up pretty well the way that Mr. Wessel has it now, except uh, I think he's added a couple of things and things. Uh, things around. Nothing very much has been added. No, he's six years. Uh, to get about all he felt oh, no. he needed. The last addition was the lathe when he was here, one of the last additions. He had a grinder to sharpen tools and so on. This was one of the first uh, things because they didn't have much out here that would help him. And uh, then he started talking about getting it down the basement because with his circular saw coming in, every time he ran that, everybody had to stop teaching below him. <laughs> Miss Russell was down below him and several of the others, and he had to quit because yeah. you couldn't hear. And so he tried not to operate it too often, but in order to teach the students, you see, he had to do some of this during the school hours. And of course, he had his other tools, his uh, big saw, drill press. 
those things were some of the first ones we got in the first couple of years. Well, I didn't realize that there was a very, of course, it's true that was the first question I asked them downstairs, what was the matter of cases? Well, when, when he first came in, he emphasized safety just a great deal because he knew so much rested with the success of the department. And he was one of the first ones. There was one at um, Boston. That's what I was going to ask. One at Boston and one at Wisconsin when he came in here. Did he visit what was the And uh, what? Did he visit either uh, of Not places? the Wisconsin shop, but he did visit the uh, one out in Boston uh, about the second summer we were here. And uh, then uh, they did have some hand tool things and some things at Indiana and a couple of other places, but nothing major, uh, like it gave the, the students extra uh, instruction along these lines. And he never forced a child to use the circular saw unless he wanted to. He never forced one to do this. Uh, and he never allowed them to do it until they were advanced students. I mean, until they had some basic work and had used the jigsaw and the drill press and uh, some you of the other tools. You the, uh, very effective guard? Uh, he devised some of that. Now, some of this they've gotten since, but he devised a lot of that. Uh, effective guards and extra pushers, and uh, he made gauges uh, to work uh, in this way so that uh, they wouldn't have to have their hands right up next to the saw to measure and go on. Um, I can't, not having watched him a great deal well, uh, teach, actually, I knew what he was doing and we were talking about it a great deal, but never having watched him teach um, very often, I, uh, I'm a little bit hard-pressed that's been ever, so many years ago. Sure. Did he ever uh, write any uh, articles? On he wrote one article for the journal. Um, well, I should be able to find it. It was that quite a while. It was published. Um, right about his death in 1960 because he had pictures and things with it of the boys working in the shop at the tool. Um, in fact, I think I still have the glossy print someplace. But he had pictures with the article and it was in the International Journal. Um, just kind of describing the program. It wasn't an elaborate article, no, but it was something that was describing the program and what he had been doing. And so you know, it is interesting about this, this tool that Nearly always, at least in, in, in recent they've been among in the last uh, level, the last generation or so. But they may not have always been first with the introduction of new programs, but they've been among the first mm -hmm. in the country to do it. I've noticed that long now. Now, this wasn't, it gradually developed and it wasn't upstairs. Uh, uh, and uh, they were still all upstairs. The whole uh, vocational department was up on third floor. So uh, when Roger came in and ordered this big machine weight, it was too heavy to put up there. And of course they made a point of this. And they had already been investigating renovating that basement because it was a mess down there, like a cave back in that part. And so uh, they went down and did some more checking. And when that lathe was coming in, then they got to work that summer and renovated that part of the basement so they could set that in and then they moved his power shop downstairs and uh, moved uh, Mr. 
it's down there too. Now they left Mr. Littlewater upstairs because of the radio and the, uh, he was just beginning the radio about that time, of course he was getting all that from him. But, uh, um, that was about, about the general structure of it. Then the first year he was here, uh, he was assigned students, some of them he had a couple times a day and it was kind of a hazard schedule. Mm -hmm. And the second year, um, they started putting first year students in, second year students, and little ones and big ones together, and so on. So he said something had to be worked out. And they sat down in uh, conferences then with all of these various departments and vocational ed. And they worked out something whereby they could have uh, it structured so that the little ones would come only maybe six weeks for introductory. And then go to one of the others and take sort of an introductory type thing with, excuse me, mainly hand tools, uh, introduction, and then get into the power tools and some of the more advanced work in high school. And that would alleviate this business of having a child four or six years in a row. And maybe some of the ones that weren't equipped for anything else down there two and three times a day. So they got it worked out into a workable schedule by that time. When the, 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 the do you recall whether he had the problems of the economy? I what they called them then. I mean, mentally retarded. Did, did you have problems with the. Uh, um, that seems to be one of the problems down there now. Oh, yes, they've had this. And of course, at first, the idea of the philosophy was dump anything in there that couldn't do it anywhere else, you know. And uh, this is what they had to rather get out. Uh, we don't know that they ever got it completely worked out, and they made exceptions because of the child and the baby. But uh, this was the general structure that I did that time. Now, to change the subject, I uh, read uh, just this morning that um, education for uh, partially cited and began here in 19, uh, special courses in 1933. Yes, Miss Russell. Now, if you can get a hold of Mary Russell, uh, she has the complete history on that because she was the one that was in on that. <laughs> she began everything here in, in that area and then uh, uh, developed it pretty well uh, on through. She was the kind of guiding force, I think, to begin with. And of course, then that uh, branched out. There were several others. Now, Mrs. Beard was in that area for a while. Uh, Mr. Meyer, Henry Meyer, and uh, Mrs. Curtis. Mm -hmm. uh, well, she was Mrs. Curtis at that time. Yeah, I know. And uh, I guess, and then I came into it. I guess those were the major ones that had been teaching and partially seen per se up until recent years. Uh, now, uh, how many today? How many teachers are? Well, it's kind of been integrated and we've varied in numbers. There were years, a couple of years in there when there weren't very many or there weren't any in some of the grades. And uh, we kind of played it by ear. I mean, they integrated okay. with the other classes. In uh, high school, is, do you make any, diff any differentiation between the elementary and the high school? Uh, now, that program has kind of evolved. At first, uh, they were separated on through the eighth grade. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a braille room and a partially seen room. Then it began to um, integrate down through the seventh grade. 
and then there came a time when there were some missing there in the middle and so they integrated down a little lower and I'm not too sure now I think this year uh, Dorothy Ferry has a complete partially seen room and I think Mrs. Sittler has a complete partially seen room I said that's first, second, third, and fourth, and Mrs. Sweeney doesn't she have a mixture? She has a mixed class. Uh, this year, and of course we're all integrated and departmentalized now. A couple of years ago we started departmentalization here too. Yes. The um, second year I was in this department for seventh and eighth. So they've been integrated, uh, partially seeing and bringing up together for the most part, unless there was some reason. Now this year they're separated. For homeroom and math mm -hmm. in the eighth grade. Now there are no partially seen in the seventh. It's just the way it happens to fall, you see. You do that, so you really have to be more flexible in your. Very much so. Than, than one would in the well, now this year, each and last year, each of us, because of the large classes going through, have had a high school class mm -hmm. along with our junior high. I see. Um, now, have, has this. Uh, uh, school, uh, would you say it was a, a pioneer in bringing in and, and giving special attention to the Park Society? Uh, the account I read this morning said that it was introduced here as a result of the activity of the uh, Illinois State uh, Society for Prevention of Blindness. Dorothy Bryan was probably the moving force in that area. She's done quite a bit of work. She's retired now. But, uh, she went to the from the Illinois State Department here. Uh, she directed all the partially seen program in the state, uh, went to uh, the printing house in Kentucky, and was there until she retired. But uh, she checked uh, in on this, I think, and kind of, oh, got things moving a little bit. However, other schools there was a lot of resistance to it. In all areas. Do you recall whether, uh, whether you've ever heard whether, uh, whether other schools had this kind of a program when it was introduced here in Not very many residential schools. They resisted having any site in there, although it existed, uh, even legally blind youngsters had vision. Yes. Uh, they were trained as Braille students, you see, and they resisted in residential schools any vision uh, work at all. And I would say this is one of the first. Now, I'm not aware what all the other schools had. I don't know what California, I'm not too uh, aware of what their uh, history is in this area. As far as I, as far as I can uh, found so far, this school and the one in Minnesota are the only two that have changed their the official name mm -hmm. for the Braille and Sight School. Well, I would say this, uh, and like I say, Ms. Russell would know a little bit more about this. Um, I would say, as far as I know, that this was one of the pioneers in this area and pressed under resistance for a long time. Now, there was a partially seen workshop in AEVH, which is, was largely for residential teachers for a long time. And in uh, 1962, 1964, in Boston, um, we renovated the a partially seen workshop interest area mm -hmm. and I took on a co-chairmanship with Helen Gibbons who was with the National Society for Prevention of Blindness Educational Consultant there and uh, with this we brought in uh, some of these day school 
programs. And there were there was an interest beginning at that point in uh, bringing in the day school programs into AEVH, which was then AAIB. And it has rather evolved, you see, into the schools from that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, uh, Natalie Berger came. She had just completed her study in uh, development of low vision. And she presented that, and there was uh, quite a bit of work developing right at that time in low vision aid also. And of course, this was brought in, and a lot of interest has been stimulated through the years through this uh, particular thing in the residential school. Now, now have you, uh, as, a, as a teacher, uh, developed uh, materials for in this uh, area? That is, in. Uh, uh, quite a few. That's, uh, I, of course, uh, no, that's characteristic of all teachers, I know. Well, whatever you do, you teacher, you do it. Uh, I taught for four years in partially, partially seeing. I had the fourth and fifth, and I had the fourth, fifth, and sixth. And I was there for four years, just strictly partially okay. seeing. Then I came here into the eighth grade work. My training is primarily high school, and I felt a little better equipped in this area. Sure. And so I came into the junior high area then, and have been here for, uh, this is my fifth year. What kind of materials have you had, have you had to develop for yourself? Um, I was just trying to think how many years it is. It gets away from me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the, the more recent time is easier. Yeah. It's harder to remember the behavior of both class. Well, uh, it's hard to think back what year I did what, you know? Yeah. Um, I started work on my master's, um, well, in earnest. I had gone in 60 to get uh, certification in partially seeing for minimum requirements. And then I had gone back in 63 to get some additional work. And at that time I decided, uh, as soon as my children were old enough, to start prepping for my master's because I would lose these credits sure. if I didn't. And uh, so then I went back in earnest. Well, then it was necessary to pick a thesis topic, and of course this was a major interest. And through this uh, workshop in AEBH, I had developed an interest in this low vision because I was spotting youngsters in my class reading Braille with their eyes and writing on the blackboard and not really being trained, you know, because they were Braille students. Mm. And yet in partially seeing, I had seen students with very low vision making good use of it and able to function because they had other problems. They had ended up that way. Mm-hmm. Um, old girl that uh, couldn't function with her hands and though she had very low vision, uh, was able to use her eyes with stimulation. So this developed this interest in this area. So when I picked a thesis topic, I picked it uh, in this area and developed it from this uh, doctoral dissertation that Dr. Berger had done. Uh, in development of low vision training. She had done a, uh, an experimental teaching study and developed the lesson plans and everything for it. 